Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there, ripe for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts. And supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 31. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by the wet bandit, Chris Reagan. The wet bandit? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say Silly Chris, cement oh. it. In, uh... Well, that's cemented later on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, did you I'm, see? I'm so happy about it. Thrilled, even. We can throw it away if that's what makes you feel better. <laughs> it's too late. It's already got a mind it, of its own. It, oh, fair enough. I'm, I'm calling you the Wet Bandit. Obviously, this isn't a video podcast yet. Remember, we might get to a video podcast here on Patreon in which we record this. But for the time being, I can be very descriptive. You're wearing a black beanie, what they call, I think, a toque in Canada. Oh, yeah. And you look like a Wet Bandit. Yeah. I am dressed in particularly dark. I, I always wear dark clothes. I think it's like a East Coast, maybe some a New York thing. 
the muted the muted monochromatic kind of color scheme. Sure. Yeah, you look just like one of many gentlemen that could be walking the streets in New York. Yeah, know, exactly. Of the millions of people that are there right now. I think you might be casing my house, but I'm not entirely sure. I want to in- invite everyone to enjoy Sacred Symbols with us this week as you do every week. Of course, we are a PlayStation podcast, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast, in fact. That's just something I made up. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Might as well be a fact. Yeah. Why? I mean, we can make it whatever we want to make it. Exactly. Now, I hope everyone out there is doing well. And Chris, I hope you're doing well. Yeah. Are you feeling better? I think so. Yeah. I think uh, I messed my uh, sinuses up pretty bad by like, I think I popped my ears way too much. But uh, aside from that, I think I'm uh, mostly all right. I'm going to fast forward to a question that we have a little bit later on that I want to read now because I think it's it's. It's pertinent right now. Oh, yeah. Will Curry wrote into us on Patreon. And remember, you guys can write into us on Patreon. We'll get into all that spiel in a minute. But he says, I'm interested about both of you complaining about minor upper respiratory (laughs) infections as if it is a terminal condition. Is this a New Yorker thing? Is this a California thing? Is this a New Yorker living in California thing? Coming from Nebraska and living in Chicago, I'm relatively unfamiliar with this peculiar and odd behavior. Sincerely, Will Curry, MD. MD. Now, I don't know if that means medical doctor could be massive dick. (laughs) <laughs> could mean any any number of things, but it seems like Will's a little confused about it. I'm going to say that this is definitely a New Yorker thing. I mean, if you want to come hang out with my family one day and hear about the complaints about just the most minor details of life. You think so? And the minutiae of life. Just come hang out with my family sometime. <laughs> Sit around the dinner table. It's probably not inaccurate, but it's also like I've never had a sinus infection before ever, for real. Like, actually. So, like, I've never experienced this, especially for this long. Did you go to the doctor? You didn't nah, go to the doctor. Nah, I just walked, walked it off. You, <laughs> like a I tried to offer you a neti pot. I have, like, an unopened I have a neti, neti pot, pot at home. I did it. It did nothing. So, I was like, all right, well. See, the neti pot thing is a whole to-do. Like, it's a whole thing. You gotta, I think you got to, like, boil water or get hot yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. It was you a gotta, whole process. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, not going to do this. I'd yet. rather just die, frankly. I mean, yeah. if I'm being honest. It takes less time. Yeah. And less effort. Unless you have a pill or something you can give to me, then just leave me alone and let me die. Yeah, and it saves water. Yeah, that's a good, and we need it here in the great state of California. Now, remember, of course, as I said, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast supported on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Supporting us there can net you the show three days early, completely ad free. It also allows you the opportunity to, to contribute your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show. All of the questions, comments, thoughts, ideas, reader mail, as we like to call it read on this show comes from a thread we put up every week only on Patreon. Of course, exclusive podcast over there as well. Let's Plays. I put up a Let's Play today for Resident Evil 2. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Chris, I wanted to start before we get into the news and all of this. You have a new video up as well. We also promoted one last week. This one is one of your glasses off yeah, features. It's, yeah, it's more of a toned down kind of like, eh, I'm just going to talk to the camera. It's basic YouTube stuff. I'm not, I didn't spend a bunch of time in an editing room with it. Right. But I'm pretty happy with that with the sponsor thing I did in it. Yeah, I saw that. It was very good. It was very yeah. interesting. I got Dwayne The Rock Johnson to be in my video. It was great. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable actually. coup for you. And, yeah, and it's your, crazy. I just ran into him. He's an interesting man. It's wild. Dwayne Johnson. He looks a bit ill. We have a correction from last week, Chris, that oh, I wanted to read. Christian Colta wrote into us. He's our Transylvanian friend, of course, the vampire. And right. He says, correction to Chris, in the Spider-Verse, Miles Morales lives in an alternate universe, hence the PDNY. And I think Coca-Cola logos, he's saying that with K's. The f- what does he say? The fat? I think you mean the fact that Spider-Man is from our Coca-Cola NYPD universe. So this no, be no, a no, there's a fat Spider-Man. Oh, oh, is there's like a, a Spider-Man who's like kind of out of his prime. Wait, so there's also a fat Spider-Man is from our Coca. So the real Spider-Man is the fat Spider-Man from yeah. the Coca-Cola NYPD universe. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, well, I didn't notice that. Like in his universe, it was NYPD. I've seen that movie three times too, which is a shame that I didn't notice that. Well, there you go. And why, Christian? I appreciate the cheers from Transylvania, but you have to remember that you. You send shivers through my body when you tell me that you're from Transylvania. <laughs> I just randomly bought, I haven't read it in a long time. I don't know where my copy is. I actually randomly just bought it yesterday on Amazon at like two in the morning. Bram Stoker? Bram Stoker's Dracula. The really? Book. Yeah. It's 
downloadable for free. Like it's it's a yeah. free, it's in, but I wanted like you know the cheap little five dollar paperback version. It's a good thing to have like a physical copy of. Yeah, it's great. There would be no Castlevania, of course, without Brand. I Silver bet Tracking. Transylvania has better internet than my fucking apartment. I bet you it does. Eastern Europe's really uh, coming on strong. What is your uh, upload download speed over there at your uh, apartment? It was a joke. It was like it was like one in six. Wow, or something at one point. It, it fluctuated. I, I'm pretty sure they're just lying to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I'm check sure it. And I'm like, are. there's no way that's true. Is this Spectrum? Yeah. They're terrible. Yeah. They're well, not. A well, good what other option do I have? No, AT&T? you have, you have no other option. You have no other options. You would think in a metro, in a, in a, geez, I can't even speak. In a metropolis like Los Angeles, you might have more choice. Yeah. But you don't. You don't have any choice. I don't get great upload and download speeds either. They're not that bad, but they're bad, you know, compared to when I go to Philly to see my brother or when I was in San Francisco, I had a lightning fast internet. So a little strange. Mind that must blown. be frustrating for you when you're uploading your videos or playing online, I assume. Yeah. It's really annoying. Maybe it's a sign from above that you shouldn't be playing video games online like a nerd. <laughs> Alex Ball wrote into us and said, hey, guys, Colin, I just wanted to answer that simple question you asked last week about what famous song CNC Music Factory made. While they made a few hits, I think the one they are best known for is Sweat. It's the classic song that begins with everybody dance now. That's, oh, right. That's them because I, I, I don't even remember what song. Oh, no, I thought that they sang Come on, Ride the Train. Right. You know, Come on, ride the train. It's the choo-choo train. I've never heard that song in my life. Oh, you definitely know that song. I'm, I've just never not, heard I'm not doing it justice. Not, not in my life have I heard that. I'm not doing it justice. You've definitely heard that song. <laughs> Mark Elfring wrote into us and said, how do you feel about Fig Newtons? I haven't had a Fig Newton since maybe the third grade, and I don't remember it all that well. I don't know what it is. What is it? It's, it's just a like fi- a, it's like a it's a pastry. It's, just, it's like dough with like jelly in it. Yeah, is it's that like it fig is? jelly or jam of some sort. I mean, figs are disgusting. Let's be fucking completely honest. You know, who was eating figs? They were eating figs in, in Athens 3,000 years ago. That's the only time they should have ever been eating figs. I don't need that shit in my life. Yeah, you know? I, f- I feel like it's something we've probably grown out of. Yeah, I would say so. You know, so. as a species. Yeah, I would say so. I want to just destroy figs. I just want to probably have some sort of adverse effect on the food chain. But I assume we can probably eradicate figs. It's like the people that want to eradicate mosquitoes and have like plants to do it. But I'm like, this will have some sort of <laughs> certainly some sort of adverse effect on our ecology. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Finally, Chris, before we get into what we're playing, I wanted to alert everyone that there's this little interesting thing going on on the PlayStation website. Not the PlayStation blog, but PlayStation.com. And you can see how much you've played in 2018. And it basically makes you log in. This is only good for North American gamers, I think. I think even American and Canadian gamers. It's not going to work if you're European, etc. But you can go to PlayStation.com slash en dash us slash campaigns slash 2018 slash wrap dash up that's a lot you can also just google it and if you log in it gives you this entire synopsis of your 2018 on playstation network and it's horrifying if uh, you play as much as i do yeah i'm curious about it i'm gonna look at mine right now i forgot to have it at the ready because i tweeted out my results a few days ago there they are so it says for me, I played 63 different games. My most played games by hours, Red Dead Redemption 2, 86 hours. God of War, 71 hours. I must wow. have paused it for a while or something. Far Cry 5, 68 hours, which I believe. My top genre is action and adventure. First person shooter and RPG. So that makes a lot of sense. 1,881 hours of gameplay. Three hours played online. <laughs> oh, that's a whopping amount. 968 trophies earned in 2018, including 13 platinums and 673 bronzes. That's like almost two bronzes a day. That's a lot, man. And then let me see. I have more here. Longest gaming streak was 11 hours. I played 228 days in the year. My prime gaming time is Sundays late night. And <laughs> that's, let's, that's so weird. And let's see. I have a breakdown month by month. My most played month was November at 206 hours. My least played month was August at 99 hours. 
So you guys can get all this breakdown. If you want to literally see an illustration of how sad your life is, <laughs> then go to this website. I like, like stats I like that, though. I do they're, too. they're really interesting. But I am curious how they're counting these hours because I did the math and that comes out to something like five hours a day. And if you divide it by the days I actually played, it's even obviously more. It's more like seven and a half or eight hours a day. It must be counting pause time or something like that, because I do leave my console running up with games all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. well, it can't it can't distinguish. Right. It, you do assume, right? Well, because some people are like, oh, this must count streaming. And I'm like, no, it definitely doesn't, because my shit is streaming all day, every day when I'm not playing it. So there's definitely not it. But yeah, my, like the 71 hours in God of War, that can't be right. That certainly can't be true. I played it probably 40 hours, but I probably left it paused for like half the day, seven days in a row. Or something. Yeah. So there you go. Go check it out if you want. It's no surprise to me that Red Dead Redemption was the highest one. Yeah, that, that seems a long. That's an accurate. I would believe that. Yeah, that's an accurate one. I play. I did play that one. What the children might say exhaustively. And before I move on to what we're playing, because we're going to talk about this game, I assume pretty extensively. I just did a Resident Evil 2 Let's Play on my SideQuest YouTube channel. It's all dedicated to Leon Kennedy. Oh, yeah. And the first 30 minutes or so you spend with him. Leon Kennedy is a fucking idiot. <laughs> and if you pay really close attention, he has no idea what's going on. Oh, like, no. Yeah. It's really funny. So I did a let's play. You guys can go check it out. People are really enjoying it because I just couldn't help but shit. He rolls into the, the gas station in the beginning and there's a cop car with the door ajar and blood all over the place. Yeah, and he he's starts like pumping his gas. <laughs> and then he's like, something's not right here. And I'm like, did you look? <laughs> Maybe at first he's like, OK, there's something clearly wrong, but I also need gas. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck was going on. Very good game, though, and I guess we should start talking about it. Yeah. Resident Evil 2, Chris, what do you think about it? We got, we should say we got the copies early from Capcom, but not early enough to do, like, a proper review. That's why I did a Let's Play. So, yeah, we got them, like, midweek, just a few days before it came out. So, what what do you think of the game? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I really like it. This is, uh, I like, I've said this previously, but I've never actually played the original Resident Evil, so Resident Evil 2 on PS1, so this is all, like, completely new to me. I don't know any of the secrets or any of the references. Like, it's completely nostalgia goggle blind for me. I'm really liking it. It's, uh, the atmosphere is, like, really solid. The sound design is really, really great. It is, especially, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much. I was going to say something about where the sound design is really good, but it is. I noticed that. Yeah, thing. it's really enjoyable. I'm glad that you can alter the FOV also. It's just, like, little touches like that where it's like, I appreciate this. Even though it's a third-person game, and typically those don't really need FOV settings, but it feels like a lot of effort went into it. And I feel that when I'm playing it. It's really great. It's funny because I downloaded Resident Evil 2 and at the same time I downloaded Resident Evil, which came, for people that don't remember, that came to PS3 and PS4. The remake from GameCube came with like slightly retooled controls, I think, or something and graphics, like upgraded graphics in like the beginning of 2014, the end of 2000, or no, the beginning of 2015, I think, the end of 2014. So I downloaded it because I'm like, you know what, I haven't played this game in a long time. I never even beat it since the GameCube, and I started playing it, and I played it for like 10 minutes, I'm like, I don't want to play this. So then I, I immediately went and started playing Resident Evil 2, and it is a labor of love. It's really well made, it's incredibly beautiful, and to your point, I did play Resident Evil 2 when I was young, but I don't remember it at all. Like, it's getting to the point now where I'm like, I don't remember a lot of these games, and so yeah. it's coming to me fresh. Like, I don't remember this at all. Like, I remember how tense this game is, and the little details, someone actually just texted or tweeted or said it on YouTube or something, I saw it somewhere and they made a good point. There's just so many details in every corner of the game, like the environmental details. And because it's not a fixed camera angle in this one, it's a true third person over the shoulder game and you can see everything as opposed to trying to hide things like they do in Animusha and stuff. It really is incredibly detailed and incredibly uh, staggering and incredibly atmospheric. I think it's a really good celebration of the series in general also because it's, it seems to be borrowing from everything that works. Because it's got the Resident Evil 4 kind of camp, like controls and like it, it's a slightly modernized where you can move and shoot 
at the same time, but it like it detracts from your accuracy and, and it's also like it's got that old school Resident Evil 2 like PS1 era level design where it's very puzzle oriented, but it's got the inventory management from seven that's like significantly better than the inventory management that I've remember dealing with with a lot of Resident Evil games. Just feels like a really nice mixture of things that comes together to make a really new kind of take on a really old thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was surprised, Chris, by how much it felt and feels. And I guess it always did feel. I guess Resident Evil always was like this, but really heavy, heavy on adventure elements where this game, and we'll talk about another game I've been playing in a minute that kind of fuses two genres together in kind of a seamless way. This really does fuse together third-person action and shooting and the kind of survival horror-esque, you know, mantle that we all know that Resident Evil has carried for so long with adventure elements that I think, you know, are just pleasant enough for someone like me. I don't like puzzle games. I don't like adventure games, really. Like, go find the handle and then go do... It's like, oh, God, I don't fucking know. But this game is so... It's not that hard. Like, I I can do it, you know? And if I can do it, so can you. Because I just don't have the patience for, like, Grim Fandango or something like that where I'm, you know... Right. You know, full throttle where I'm like, I don't fucking know where this goes. (laughs) I just want to play the game and... And so I like how it fuses that kind of stuff together. And I love ammo scarcity. I really think that that's an essential part of survival horror. And this game really does have it in spades. Maybe not as much as it could. I want to play it on hard when I'm done. I'm still working my way through Leon. I'm only about five hours in. I should probably be done about five hours. but I'm really taking my time. I also got lost a couple times, to be honest. But I'm looking forward to playing as Claire. I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing. Platinum trophy seems extremely difficult to get. You got to beat the game. With an S rank, you got to beat the game on hardcore mode. You got to beat the game taking fewer than thirteen thousand steps. You got to take the game, beat the game without using medical supplies. You got to beat the game without using your inventory box. <laughs> it's a nuts list. Yeah, so it's insane. I, so I'm staying away from that. I think personally, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, I think it's fair to say that we both endorse this game. I mean, I think that this is a game that people should go out and play. I'm not entirely sure to be perfectly honest what the price is. I don't know if it's forty or sixty dollars, but I think even if it is sixty dollars. I would say it's probably. I think, worth yeah, that I think price. it's sixty. Yeah, if you guys want to wait, it will probably fall in some at some point. And they just announced that they're releasing some free DLC in February for the game too. So oh. as long as you have it, you'll get it. I think very similar to the Spider-Man suits in Spider-Man PS4, but I think a little bit more robust, like new missions. I was reading one of the missions is like you meet a guy in a gun store. You you can play as him. I think it's like something about him and something about someone else. And oh, that's neat. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah, I think Capcom is really really showing us something lately. And I really am amazed about how this company has turned it around. You got to remember, Capcom was not doing so well for a little yeah. while. You know, just, they weren't. And now they finally have figured it out, I think. Not only with Animusha and Resident Evil 2, but, you know, the Mega Man collections and the Street Fighter collection. And they're just, they're just doing a nice job. And so props to them and kudos to them. The other game that I'm playing and that I platinumed, my 78th platinum trophy, is Metro 2033. And I'm playing this in preparation for Metro Exodus, which comes out in the coming weeks. That's, of course, the third game in the series. I haven't played Metro 2033 since it came to Xbox 360, I think. And I played it a little bit right before Last Light came to PS4. This game is kind of like a walking simulator. And I didn't really realize that the first time I played it, because I don't think we had any lens to look at it through at that time. But there's so much waiting and so much exposition in the game. It's fun the first time through, but I beat it twice. I beat it on both modes and stuff like that. And... It's just a lot. It's just a lot of waiting and a lot, you know, so I don't know that the game, the game's more pedestrian than I really remember it being, I think. But I did platinum it, platinum number 78, going to move on to Last Light, I think, before Exodus comes out. Although I remember that game a little bit better, so I don't know if I need to play it. So that's what we've been playing. Are you okay? You're wincing. And I don't, I don't know, know. My eyes are like. Uh, my eyes feel like, Is this light in your eyes? No, no, no. I don't know. My eyes are just dry. I didn't wake up too well. What's up with your dryness? Your general dryness? I just feel very dry in general. Yeah. I'm a very uh, crackly. Yeah. You know, just ashy person. Yeah. Do you drink a lot of water? Yeah. You do. I do. Oh. 
Yeah, it's just the sun slowly cooking me away. Well, that's weird because you never leave the house. I know. By the way, I really should note, by the way, that we are missing Lola today. For those that don't know, Lola is my Boston Terrier that I have with my girlfriend. She's almost six years old. She's the light of my life. And she is getting her teeth cleaned today at the vet. And we had to bring her in at 730 in the morning. It's going to cost me about $1,000 to do this because she, she has to get put under anesthesia because she's so, as you know, nuts yeah that like Aaron and I have tried to brush her teeth you need like the jaws of life to get her and she's such a sweetheart like she would never hurt anyone but like she doesn't want you in her mouth so she got to get knocked out she's got to get those teeth cleaned could get the call at any moment to go get her at any right. at any moment oh, can't man. wait to see her a little bit woozy though it's gonna be a lot of fun for me you know? <laughs> see your drugged dog it's gonna be great I mean, that's going to be like, that's going to be make it all worth it. Drugged animals are hilarious. They are. I, I actually was kind of inquiring. I'm like, can I watch like you? <laughs> I'm so interested in how they do this. And like the, Lola just laying on this table, getting her teeth clean. I'm like, can I can I watch? Just like an observational, yeah. like kind of like like a theater, like in a hospital, you know, like yeah. when you're up in the glass. The yeah. And you drop yeah. a junior mint. Yeah, exactly. In, in the dog. And then there's a huge problem. And then there's was well, the miraculous recovery. Isn't that what happens in that episode <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, it is. So, you know, I could get a call about that. We miss her very much. She's also having some stomach problems lately. Someone had commented that we talk about nothing on the show for a while, and I think this kind of plays that out a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> we have a few questions about Resident Evil 2, though, that I wanted to get into. Tyler Oldfield wrote into us on Patreon. So with the release of Resident Evil 2 Remake, all I have to say is the horror genre is the best genre. Change my mind. I don't know. I don't know that it's even really a genre the way we talk about video games. It's a setting because you could have a horror shooter like fear is a horror game and that's a first person shooter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I never thought about it that way. A game like stay on Vita is a horror game. That's like an adventure game. You have a third person shooter like Dead Space. So I take issue with it being a genre, although we talk about survival horror as a genre. So I understand that. Yeah. But it is technically a genre. It's like a subgenre almost. It's like a feeling. It's like a Metroidvania. Like Darksiders is a Metroidvania in 3D. Yeah. Symphony of the Night is a Metroidvania in 2D. They're two different kinds of games. I think horror is like, a, a real, honestly, I think horror as a genre plays best in video games as opposed to like movies or books or TV shows. Like personally, I think horror games are way, way, way more scary than actual like horror TV shows or horror movies. I, I just can't, I can't get scared at a horror movie when the characters are making decisions that I wouldn't make. Whereas like in a game, it's like, oh no, I did that. It's just, it's way more effective to me. There were a couple of moments where I was, you know, jumped back with my, I was like, oh shit. Oh yeah, no, I jolted a couple times in uh, Resident Evil 2, even though I had I had known what was coming. I didn't know that they could crawl up the stairs. It was a tad startling, needless to say. There but, was uh, one creature that was following me. I climbed down a ladder and then I turned around and he just jumped down. <laughs> That's so awful. I wish I could talk more about who I'm talking about in the game. Like the sound design there and just the atmosphere yeah. of that particular part is really, really great. And it, and you're right, it's only possible. In video games. So, Tyler, to your point, I guess we would definitely endorse this so-called horror genre. And we've called it horror before, but it's really more of a setting or an atmosphere. Because, again, you can have horror in any genre, I assume. Horror video games are pretty great, though. They're also the most fun to watch people play. Definitely. And there's lots of Let's Plays going up and lots of uh, Twitch experiences. I think our friend Bunty has been twitching the game and enjoying himself there. Jason Price wrote into us on Patreon and said, Hi again, guys. Is Chris dead yet? He's not dead. Unfortunately, I am still here. With the Resident Evil 2 remake being so popular and Yakuza getting good remakes over the last couple of years, do you think this trend continues on PS5? Have a good week. Thank you, Jason. The trend of remakes, of course. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, this is so many games that haven't been remade yet. This is the question, though, Chris, is that we have to wonder, when is the remake considered like the ultimate 
walk away from a game, right? Like Resident Evil 2 makes a lot of sense. They released it in 1998, I think, on PS1. It came to GameCube in some sort of updated format, but it was not like a remake. It came out in 2002. I remember buying it. Yeah. And then we hadn't really gotten it except for PS1 Classics or anything until 2019. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Is this the end now, Resident Evil 2? Can we now say like Resident Evil 2 is remade? I think so. I, I think the PS1 era specifically, like the PS1 and 64 era of video games is probably the era that's most needing of a bit of an update because those games look really horrendous. Like I love a lot of them, but Crash Team Racing, like I brought my PS1 back from New York and I, I was playing it recently. I, I still love it. And I still know everything from muscle memory, but like, wow, it hurts to look at. It looks like a watercolor painting. Well, you're going to get a new one. This yeah, year. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I think uh, as soon as everything from that era, because I think PS2 and Xbox, like, everything's, f- you can determine, you can look at a PS2 game and look at, like, I don't know, some rendered object and know, oh, that's what that's supposed to be. Yeah, we just saw that with Animusha. I mean, Animusha looked better than I actually thought it was going to look. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and that's the, an early PS2 game. But, like, the PS1 and the 64, that's a, is that a per, is that Link? Is it? It, it looks, looks like, like a turnip. A, it looks like a turnip with a tunic on. Yeah, it's a problem. If I can be frank with you. Remakes will always be part of the zeitgeist in gaming. I think that that's it's exciting. Like games getting remade and re-released is exciting. I think I just think you have to kind of put the brakes on in terms of how many times you're going to re-release something. When is it the cutoff? I don't know if there's like a really a definitive answer, but it's funny he brought this up because I was thinking about this with Resident Evil 2. I guess it came up because Resident Evil remake from GameCube that's also on PS4 that could really use another remake. Like it's still not modern. It's still a far cry from the way we play games today. So I'm like, would they ever like, is resident evil, the original one off the list now, (laughs) you know, like it's interesting to think about that from a perspective of when, when is enough. And then when will this game just get ingested into all the systems and networks forevermore as the definitive version of the game? I don't know. It's cool to think about like what updates people could make in like 20 or 30 years to a video game that we love today. Yeah. Like there are some companies that like kind of just push out a remake and it's like, what is it? Like the Bioshock remaster. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is not really remastered. It's up-resed. Right. But this looks just like I remember it looking and I go back and I play Bioshock on the PC or on the Xbox 360 and it's like, this looks the same. Really. 720 to 1080 is probably not as big of a jump, obviously, as you know, as 480 in 4.3 or whatever. To 4K. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's a big difference. I mean, that was even the thing about Animusha, which was so interesting, was that the game was in, you could play the game in widescreen, which is not the way I played it the first time. So that was even interesting that that field of vision existed. I feel like there's a very delicate balance. I feel like people are going to start getting upset if there's too many of these kinds of games. But if they're this well done, you know, like if they even remade Bioshock, if 2K found some studio to remake Bioshock and made it look prettier and stuff like that, to your point, I don't know that it would really be necessary. Yeah. Sean Huseman wrote into us, Chris, said, hey, Colin and Chris, I stumbled upon something interesting and I've noticed it for a while. Why do so many reviews not talk about technical aspects of games besides how maybe how the game looks? Perfect example is the recently released Resident Evil 2 remake. I read five reviews and none of them besides one mentioned anything about frame rate or how the game performs except one of them. Personally, I think it's vital information to include in a review since if a game runs like garbage, it will significantly decrease enjoyment of a game. We don't need a super in-depth technical breakdown, but even some simple information regarding if a game performs well on the platform is a must. I tend to agree with you, although I will say this from someone who used to review games. It's important to know what native platform they played it on because you're not going to get much information from them otherwise on that. Yeah. Like uh, a, an example for me is when the Wolf, original Machine Games Wolfenstein came out. I reviewed it for IGN. I played it natively on PS4, but then I tried it on PS3, 360, Xbox One and PC for like 20 minutes each just to make sure the game was running right. I'm not going to have any insight if something on the PC version breaks seven hours in. So as long as it's clear that you know what version they're talking about and you can get some information out of it, I guess that's the best they can do. Reviewing games is easy in my opinion, but harder than you might think. 
at the same time. So be patient. That said, the game runs very well. Yeah, I haven't had any problems with it. I feel like a review will note if a game is running poorly if it's particularly egregious. But the rule of thumb, Chris, for me, and I think this is really important, is that a review shouldn't necessarily have to say anything. Like, there should be no checkbox list when you review a game. Like, I've reviewed games in the past where I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't talk at all about the voice acting. I didn't talk at all about the exposition. Well, you don't have to talk about it unless there's something to say about it. It's exactly right. So... You can maybe read between the lines with Resident Evil 2 that since the technical limitations didn't come up, there might not be any of note. Review, if you go back and read reviews from 10 or 15 years ago online when they were like thousands of words and they were just really horrible, and then you read reviews today that are a lot better that maybe are a thousand words or less and are much tighter, they tell you what you need to know. Like when you read a film review, they're not telling you everything about the film. So just try to be a little more forgiving. And and that's my opinion. I don't know that you need to have like a checkbox. Here's what it sounds like. Here's what the voice acting's like. Here are the graphics. Here's the resolution. Here's the frame. Uh, That's fucking boring. Yeah, I mean, it's a style that some people appreciate, but it's not necessarily something that should be dictated to everybody. Yeah. Should we get into the news, Chris? Let's do it. Number one. The MPD Group, the organization that tracks American game sales for both hardware and software, has released its data for the all-important month of December 2018. Nintendo Switch outsold PlayStation 4 in the United States for the month, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate was the best-selling piece of software, relegating PS4 software to second place as well. Notable games on the top 20 best-selling list for the month of December on PS4 include Call of Duty Black Ops 4 at number 2, Red Dead Redemption at number or Red Dead Redemption 2 at number 3, Battlefield 5 at number 4, and NBA 2K19 at number 5. Other notable games include Spider-Man at number 10, Just Cause 4 at number 15, Spiral Reignited Trilogy at number 19, and Fallout 76 at number 20. The MPD group also revealed the 20 best-selling games in the United States for the entire 2018 calendar year. Here they are in order. Note that Nintendo games on the list don't count digital sales and would all likely be higher on the list if they did. That's crazy. Red Dead Redemption 2 is number one, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, number two, and then so on. NBA 2K19, Madden NFL 19, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Spider-Man, Far Cry 5, God of War, Monster Hunter World, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Grand Theft Auto 5, Mario Kart 8, FIFA 19, Battlefield 5, Super Mario Odyssey, Call of Duty World War 2, Dragon Ball Fighters. The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, Super Mario Party, and Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. PlayStation 4 was America's best-selling console in 2018. Not bad. Not bad at all. So a few good PS4 games there, obviously. Spider-Man and God of War exclusives that did very well. Yeah. Interesting to see Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu coming in at number 20. I actually think the most interesting thing, though, is that Super Smash Bros. Ultimate outsold Spider-Man and God of War. That doesn't surprise me at all. Even I bought it. I bought it, too, to be perfectly honest. So I, I guess I'm also responsible for that. Yeah. But I didn't know, you know, I was wrong. I mean, you got to you got to have a mea culpa sometimes. I was totally wrong about I knew the game was going to sell well. I knew that people were going to like it. But you didn't think I didn't it was going to be like this. Yeah. You know, I didn't think that it was going to really drive many more switches because my theory was that why would Smash Brothers drive switch sales now when Smash Brothers didn't drive Wii U sales? Smash Brothers didn't drive N64 sales. So there's like sporadic yeah. examples. And then with Wii, with like Brawl, there was just a lot of Wiis. So no one could really tell. Yeah, no, exactly. So I just didn't believe it. My thing was, I always wondered like, how could this really translate to more Switch sales when it's such a inherently local multiplayer game? Like if one of your friends has Smash Brothers, what's your incentive to get it? Mm. You know? I guess it's that- And yet everybody in my apartment has it. It's that drive to unlock shit, I think. I think people, you know, I remember, I mean, I, and unlocking the characters and the, the assist trophies and... Well, I bought it because I was in New York and I had nothing to, I had nothing to play. And right. I had my Switch and I was like, I have to use this. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. No, it's, it's supposed to be a really great game. I actually haven't even opened it yet. Really? Yeah, because I bought it, I have to be honest, I bought it for my nephew and then he already had it. So I'm like, I'll just keep it. Yeah, that was made, basically what. Yeah, and then that I, makes sense. And I bought him, uh, as I told you guys a few weeks ago, I bought him Kingdom Hearts 3, which will be coming in the mail to him this week and I'm sure he's very excited fucking nerd it's good Smash Brothers is good 
It's probably not very nice to be calling like a nine-year-old or eight-year-old fucking nerd. <laughs> you stupid child. You fucking dork. Justin Rowe wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, Colin and Silly Chris. There it is. Oh, God. We can get rid of it. I can it's never use late. it again. Okay. It's too late. Yeah, I'm you might you as well options. accept it. Accept reality. I've long accepted it. I think you're the one who's had a harder time accepting the reality, if I'm being honest. Hey, that might be true, but I mean, I'm going to deny it. I hear very frequently the notion of voting with your wallet, and I wholeheartedly agree. This often goes with people not supporting Battlefield 5 or Anthem based on EA's previous money-grabbing schemes. However, I think both of these games should be given another look based on their consumer-friendly monetization. Anthem won't have loot boxes, all future story content is free, and cosmetics follow the you-see-it-you-buy-it model Fortnite follows. All cosmetics can be earned through in-game play as well. The same can be said for Battlefield 5 in regard to their DLC, season passes, microtransactions. In fact, DICE actually delayed the rollout of their cosmetic microtransactions until the in-game currency catches up to player, to player feedback. In short, shouldn't we be rewarding EA for finally listening and learning from their mistakes? Otherwise, it seems they'll have no incentive if it doesn't work out. We asked for this and they delivered. This is a great point, Justin, but I do want to point out why we are in these silos where things don't seem to facts don't seem to matter, right? I just read you guys the list of best-selling games for both December and for the year. For the month of December, Battlefield 5 was number four in the United States. And overall, Battlefield 5 is like number 10 or 11. So even though in our very connected world, we shit on Battlefield 5 and DICE's effort with the game and people didn't seem to really like it and they had some social justice problems with whatever the case might be, the game sold. So I think that they are getting rewarded. I just don't think it's a vocal thing because I think people are tired of EA, generally speaking. You know? Yeah, I, I would think so, too. But but it's also worth noting that just because a monetization scheme for a game seems to be an improvement doesn't necessarily mean it's entitled to your money. Ultimately, what matters is whether or not the game grabs you. And personally, I think Battlefield Five and, and Anthem, quite frankly, aren't really grabbing as many people. And I think that's really what the main thing is. Whereas previously, you had games that were grabbing people that had kind of shitty practices infused into them now you have games that have far better policies attached to them that aren't really as interesting to the general public have you been keeping up with this anthem stuff because yeah i I haven't so can you talk to me a little bit about it because i actually am so bored by anthem at this point it's not even out yet that i am already bored by it that i can't even follow it seems like a lot of problems with the beta yeah, supposedly there's a lot of connectivity issues. There's a lot of stagnating on loading screens. I know, I know the loading times are like ridiculous. And it, it, the general consensus seems to be that it's Mass Effect Andromeda's basic combat system in like a Destiny kind of open world quasi-MMO space. There's no PvP in it, apparently, which is really interesting to me because I, <laughs> that's a pretty big thing that keeps people engaged. Well, it comes out. I'm looking behind me. Comes out on the 22nd, right? So a little less yeah. than a month. I'm sure we'll get it. EA likes us, I think, so we'll probably get the game early. I'm dubious of the of Justin's kind of assertion that, you know, shouldn't they be incentivized? And, and they did deliver what we asked for. I'm just saying that I, I think they are being incentivized. And I will say maybe it's the pragmatic person in me that kind of sees through this stuff. And I'm sure you do too, Justin, but... They're not doing this for fun. They're doing it because the landscape's becoming so much more competitive that they have to do this. Like, yeah, Anthem's getting free DLC and all that kind of stuff because they need a way to hook you for months and maybe even years Yeah. in a a world where the Division 2 and Destiny and all these other games are out. I mean, this isn't something they're just doing because they're trying to look better. They're doing it because they demand shares of the market and it's going to become more and more competitive, which is really exciting. So, yeah, EA looks good and I agree with you. They have been fixing things, but I also want to just put out there that I don't think the problems are as bad as they seem because... The games are selling, according to the MPD, which, by the way, I think orders their games in order, not of games sold, but of money made. So 
I could be wrong on that, but I think that's the case. Yeah. For so sure. even Fallout 76 being number 20. <laughs> that's that's is not bad. We'll talk a little bit more about that yeah. in a little while. And also, while. it's worth noting that Battlefield 5 didn't really have that bad of a critical reception at all. No, it's totally it's a totally fine Battlefield game. If you leave the so-called anti-social justice sphere of YouTube and all that kind of stuff and you leave the pro social justice sphere on the extremes. Yeah, you just find people that are interested in the game. Yeah, they're like, oh, that's a World War II game. All yeah, right. we got to just keep this stuff in check, right? For the 50,000 or so people that listen to this show, you guys are well engaged, but that's 50,000 of you. There's almost 100 million PS4s in the wild, right? Yeah. We have a very small fraction of the people that own PS4s listening to this show. So just think about it through that lens and think about your casual friends that might buy a few games a year. They have no fucking idea what's going on. They didn't know anything about the Red Dead Redemption 2 drama with the development exactly they didn't know anything about battlefield 5 having a woman storming normandy or whatever people were upset about they had no idea about anthem's beta connection issues they have no idea they have no idea none just think about where you were before you were that disengaged and that's where the majority of people are even better yet chris think about all the things you enjoy passively that you don't know anything about i love tv shows i have no idea what the production is on half of these shows or like with the drama (laughs) or whatever it's like i don't know i just turn it on and there it is Number two, Far Cry New Dawn is going to flex new RPG and upgrade mechanics into the Far Cry series for the very first time. According to a video published to New Dawn's Twitter account, the game's creative director, Jean-Sebastien Decamp, he's French, I don't know. That's what I was talking about earlier. Pushed his team to craft what he terms a light RPG approach, that's in quotes. For instance, crafting goes further than usual. As an example, you can now create weapons and then upgrade those weapons in various ranks. These ranks will be matched by the enemies you fight and their weapons, placing emphasis on constantly making your gear better. So this sounds a little bit to me like maybe Borderlands-ish? I don't, I don't know for sure. And he also says a new base camp, similar to the one found in Far Cry Primal, will allow you to make substantial upgrades to your society, their town, and more. He also explains that outposts, this is my favorite part, outposts and forts, which are classic Far Cry fare, can be captured and recaptured as enemies try to take them back. And multiple sides fight for resources that the outpost generates. That's cool. I like that. I like that. So for people that don't play Far Cry, taking outposts and fortresses is like one of the really fun parts of the game. There are usually like 25 of them in the game. And they're really heavily guarded and you have to kind of like meticulously get inside of them and and be stealthy and and kill everyone. And then you control the fort. And that's usually a permanent thing. Now, I think Far Cry 4 and maybe Far Cry 5 had an option that once the game was done, you could then go in the menu and repopulate all the fortresses if you wanted to play them again. But this game is basically saying like people are going to constantly. It's almost like a tower defense kind of thing. It sounds like. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. And then the resources that are generated there, you can take and the enemies will try to take them back. So that sounds pretty cool. I don't necessarily care for these like society things where like you build your own society. We got a resource management with like, oh, are my people happy? Are they eating enough? Is that what this is? I, I don't know. It was like that's kind of is. like that in Far Cry Primal, which I just platinumed a couple no. weeks ago. It seems like this game's kind of inspired by that. Not a huge surprise since Primal was a spinoff yeah. kind of, of four. It didn't take place in the same universe. It kind of did. It kind of didn't. It was literally the same map, actually, (laughs) as people remember. I think that the problem here is balancing and threading that needle to make sure that you don't go too far in one direction where it's too hands-on simulation, which people don't want in Far Cry. But I don't think it's going to be like that. Right. It's going to be probably like, you know, you just build these upgrades. When you build these upgrades, then people can make new things for you. And then you go find fucking sticks and leaves and shit and make them. That's, you know, usually Far Cry. It looks good. It does look good. It looks very cool. Number three. Rumors have been circulating that publisher Bethesda may be preparing it to make Fallout 76 free-to-play. These rumors began because of reports that the game was being pulled from shelves in certain territories. However, Bethesda outright dispelled the rumor, stating on Twitter in response to a tweet, quote, there is no truth to this rumor, end quote. Fallout 76 came out last fall and largely disappointed, though it seems to have sold millions of copies. And the aforementioned MPD report notes that Fallout 76 was the 20th best-selling game in the United States in 2018. So there you go. Yeah. 
No game had worse. No game in 2018 had worse PR than Fallout 76. No game in the, in the last industry. several years, yeah. to be quite frank. 20th best selling game in the United States in 2018. It's wild. So it's I'm so just wild. saying, I'm just saying we have to keep things in perspective. When I saw that rumor, though, I did believe it. When I first really? saw that rumor, I believed it. Because the rumor coincided with apparent rumors in Australia that the game was just being straight up taken off the shelves there. Right. And I was like, oh, they are going to make it free to play. That's wild. People are going to flip out. I thought, I thought Australia was just sick of stocking them and no, nobody saw it. It's like, we got to get rid of these. Well, it's, it's the thing. <laughs> like, where it's the, like the E.T. Atari thing. Right, exactly. They just bury them. Yeah, just bury them in a desert. I was thinking that because they're in the Southern Hemisphere, they actually take the games off the shelves instead of put them on the shelves. It's a bad joke. It's that's a bad. That's the it's worst a, it's, thing. That's so awful. It's a good. It was a pretty good joke. You, know, you need to edit edit that out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Number four. Last week we discussed the snafu in Assassin's Creed Odyssey's newest DLC, Shadow Heritage, one that seemingly forced onto players romantic character developments that remain static, regardless of the choices you made in game. Choices that can allow your protagonist to be heterosexual, homosexual, or completely uninvolved in romantic relationships at all. At the time we first talked about this, publisher Ubisoft released an apology, but noted no changes would be made to the current content, save the renaming of a trophy. Now, however, according to a production update on the Assassin's Creed Odyssey's official forums, changes will be made. Quote, after hearing player feedback and discussing with the, within the development team, we are making changes to a cutscene and some dialogue and shadow heritage to better reflect the nature of the story of the relationship. I'm sorry for players selecting a non-romantic storyline. These changes, along with renaming a trophy slash achievement, are being made now and will be implemented in an upcoming patch. We've also been carefully looking at the next episode, Bloodline, to ensure the paths the players experience mirror the choices they make in game. How do you feel about this, Chris? This is a uh, interesting Ubisoft. This is a lot of trouble for them to go through. Yeah. But it seems like it's important for them to keep continuity. The way I understand it is that, and I, spoilers, Assassin's Creed Odyssey spoilers for anyone that cares. This is how I understand it. I could be wrong. You guys can write in and let me know. There's a child born out of a relationship in the DLC that even if you were homosexual or I guess ag sexually agnostic or whatever, the child would still be born to the person. Right. That's how I understand it. Indicating that the heterosexual arc is like the canon arc, right. I think. And I think this actually got like glad involved in it and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Which is the gay and lesbian, what is it, anti-defamation alliance or something? I don't something know. like that, yeah. It's terrible that I don't know what that means, but what is it? G-L-A-A-D. That sounds right. Gay and lesbian association of anti-defamation? Alliance of anti-defamation? I'm be, not even trying to make be, a joke. I'm sorry. Too, I'm not trying to, I don't know. It's, it's a pro-LGBT thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think that they got involved and so they're making changes. So yeah, does that, is that interesting to you? It seems like a lot of people had a problem with it more than just LGBT, right? I think a lot of people were like, why is this canon? Was that the, what was the issue? Who was upset with this? I just think that it didn't reflect the choices you were making. Like, I think that playing as, a, I don't remember the characters. So Cassandra, it, whoever the fuck the other character. So you play as a male or female, and then I think you can play gay or straight or not. Right. Relation, and I think that it just didn't matter. But were people's problems with it political or was it like a specific betrayal of what the gameplay and the philosophy of the game was my assumption is both i don't know that glad for instance cares about the philosophy of the game well right <sighs> maybe they do yeah i i don't know maybe it's, they're huge nerds too but i wish i had more context because i just didn't play this game so yeah, I, I, just, I don't know how to really say anything about it yeah i just i think it's nice that they went this extra step personally i know that some people think that this is unnecessary and kind of you know succumbing to you know outside social justice forces or whatever but i actually think per your point i think there's two different verticals here to kind of assault the game about and one of them is like if you give player agency to players you have to continue that all the way through it'd be like mass effect 2 just not caring that you had a certain ending of mass effect it's like well you can't yeah, really exactly. do that I mean, like you can do that, but that's not really the spirit of what you're trying to do. Yeah. So from that perspective, I think it's great from the 
kind of anti-gay perspective. I don't know if people were really taking it like that. I'm sure people are upset about all sorts of things. I think it just removed the agency from people that were trying to play a different way. So my question is, why didn't they know this ahead of time? I don't think they would have changed it, though, if they didn't th think on some level that they like, oh, yeah, we probably should. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's I feel true. like they, otherwise they would have just let it go. And like, I, I, you know, whatever, it's out. Yeah, they must have gotten enough feedback from it. I didn't know that you could rename trophies, which is interesting. I guess that makes sense. That makes me want to go back because there are misspellings in some trophies that really annoy me. That maybe they can go, you know, upgrade. Not Ubisoft games, but some of those, you know. Wait, really? They're... Yeah, yeah. There's just, I can't even think of any of them. I'm sure we can Google them or people will write in. There are literally spelling mistakes and like grammatical mistakes and like trophies from, especially on PS3. When no one, really no one gave a shit. <laughs> you know, now at least people really at least <laughs> yeah. pretend they care. Owen wrote into us on Patreon, Chris. He says, hey, CNC, hopefully Mr. Raygun is feeling better today. I am. On last week's episode, Colin mentioned that since Assassin's Creed started, there have only been two years that didn't have an AC game. We know not all of them were good, but several have been fantastic. And the last two in particular were extremely well received and they came out a year apart. My question is, if this is the case, why aren't we getting more Star Wars, Final Fantasies, etc., etc.? I know a lot of developers are involved with AC, but companies like EA and Square have lots of developers handy. Like, what the fuck takes so long to get Kingdom Hearts 3? We haven't had a good Star Wars game in years. Final Fantasy 15 came out, and who knows when we'll see Final Fantasy 7 Remake or Final Fantasy 16. I don't understand how Ubisoft manages to turn these things out, but other companies take forever and seem to have less success when they're at it. This is interesting and a good question, Owen. I think it's about what your priority is. Yeah. Remember, you asked a question here, and you brought up Star Wars, right? And that would indicate Electronic Arts. Well, EA does do this. EA does this with most of their games to a much more extreme you know, condition than the Assassin's Creed games. There has not been a year without a Madden game in 29 years, something like that. Probably. 30 years. Yeah. They're all EA games released a year apart in nine month dev cycles. So you are getting games like that. Now, I just think that Assassin's Creed's more formulaic than the games you're mentioning. Star Wars can mean anything. Like Assassin's Creed, I know that there's the weird side-scrolling Assassin's Creed games and all, but Assassin's Creed means something. They're open world, somewhat non-linear, checkbox Ubisoft games. Everyone knows what they are. Ubisoft certainly knows how to make them. But yeah. when you think about Final Fantasy, there's a major difference between Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy XI, which is an MMO, Final Fantasy XII, XIII, the three XIII games, fourteen, fifteen. These are very different games. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... I'm not saying it should take so long to make Kingdom Hearts 3, but I am saying that they're kind of different, you know, at the same time. And I think Ubisoft just makes their, they make their studios. It's very similar to some studios that I know, like the, the Call of Duty studios. Yeah, they alternate uh, based on different developers, right? Exactly. Like Call of Duty has three prime developers, right? They have Infinity Ward, they have Treyarch, and they have Sledgehammer, and they go on three-year cycles, right? And then they have like studios like Raven and all these Activision kind of satellites helping them. And with Ubisoft, they have, you know, Ubisoft Toronto and Ubisoft Montreal and all these studios and they work on different games. But I think that they're just engineered to annualize. They want to annualize like that is their whole intention. Like the fact that Watch Dogs is probably dead was probably not the ideal for them. They probably yeah. wanted Watch Dogs to be a huge thing. They don't make one offs. They don't do that. So it just I think depends on the culture and the expectations of the publisher. But it is a nice point, Owen. Thank you for that. Number five. Resident Evil 2 Remake is out at the time you're listening to this podcast, and it appears that it may be joined by a live-action Resident Evil television series. Deadline Hollywood reports that Netflix is, quote, developing a scripted series based on the hit action horror franchise, end quote. The report notes that Constantin Films, the German company behind the six Resident Evil movies, is behind the new Netflix show. We don't know anything about it. Have you seen any of the Resident Evil movies? Because I haven't seen them. The ones with Mila, what's her name, Mila Jovovich? Mila, Mila Jovovich or something? Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. I've not seen, I've seen pieces. I've seen like uh, snippets, but I've never I've never been compelled to sit through and watch them. I've been told by people that I trust that those are actually decent movies that like compared to the gaming movies that were they used to. There's six of them. So they must people must like. Yeah, them. I think I think they've definitely got a niche. I remember hearing that from people, too. I, I don't think anybody's ever told me 
is a great film, but I remember a lot of people telling me like, these movies, you can have a fun time in them. They're kind of like Transformers in that way, hmm. I guess. Transformers is too fast. I don't like me. it. No, it's I don't too like messy. It the, the visual design is like horrendous. Yeah, I'm not into it. Yeah, me neither. I remember seeing the first one in what, 2007? It was Shia LaBeouf and Linkin Park. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I remember seeing the action sequences and being like, what is happening? It's just a mess. What is happening here? I don't know. I guess never, as good as mine. I got to be honest with you. I've never been a huge Transformers guy. Me I've neither. always been a little bored by them. G.I. Joe is definitely better from an 80s toy perspective. I don't know about 80s toy. Like as a toy, I think Transformers are better. But as like a franchise to like watch, I don't know. Metal men turning into cars. It's like a fever dream. Or cars turning into metal men. That's true. Goes both ways. Number six, number six, because this is the significant story ruining leaks that occurred in the month leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3's global launch, Square Enix may reconsider launching games globally moving forward. Kotaku reports on an interview Square Enix's Tetsuya Nomura gave to Japanese gaming publication Famitsu. By the way, if you want to know why Kingdom Hearts 3 was delayed so much, you might want to look at Nomura. Four copies of the game got out early, apparently, which was enough for the damage to be done. As a result, he said, quote, because of what happened, the risks for a simultaneous worldwide release are high for any games that I work on henceforth. Currently, I cannot help but reconsider a simultaneous worldwide release for at the very least the retail package version, end quote. What do you think of that? I actually think that that's realistic. Only four copies of the game, as far as I can tell, got out and it ruined everything. Four copies that's for a game insane. that will probably sell in the region of five million or more. It brings me back, Chris, and you're certainly old enough to remember this. We used to get games typically late in the United States. Games yeah. always came out in Japan first and it's the worldwide releases or us even getting priority. Like when PS4 came out here first, that was unbelievable, right? Yeah. That was an unbelievable thing for us that we actually got it before Japan. But this whole global release thing is kind of new anyway. And if you guys need to kind of secure your games and do it a different way, it'll just be like the way it used to be. And I don't know that I'm going to cry any tears over it. Personally. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Danny Garcia wrote into us and said, Hey, C-squared, happy Kingdom Hearts 3 release day. When this episode becomes available to patrons, doesn't the game come out on Friday for patrons? No, no, it comes out uh, Tuesday. Oh, does it? Comes it? out tonight, I think. I know because my roommate's excited about it. And he's like, he told me specifically tomorrow I'm going to be playing it all night. Oh God, we're closer to this than I thought. Yeah, well, here we go. <laughs> I know you two are extremely excited for this game, like so many of us are. I like your flat affect. Thank you for that, Danny. My question is, how do you feel about the amount of leaks surrounding the game over the past month? Many people received it early and began posting videos to spoil the game for everyone else. Should companies take greater precaution in the months building up to their game releases to avoid this kind of thing happening? Now, to be clear, Danny, and I don't know when you wrote this, it seems like, according to Nomura, only four copies got out. So it wasn't like a lot of people had the game. But yeah, I think that it's up to the publisher to kind of secure these things. Yeah. But how do you feel about this in terms of you know, publisher agency versus the people out there that are like really looking to ruin shit for other people. I think that that's part of it too. And I don't know that you can really control those people. I mean, I think a publisher just needs to do all they can. And realistically, there's only so much you can do. I mean, this happens a lot, actually. Like this happened pretty famously with Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 came, was leaked like a year before it came out. And tons of people were playing it. They reworked a lot of that game specifically because of this like ridiculously damaging leak. And I don't know if there's really much you can do, especially now where more games are available online and like there's a lot more like cloud sharing and like files can be given to people accidentally. And then all of a sudden you have an unlocked version of a full game that you really shouldn't have access to. It's really easy for this stuff to get out. The fact that only four copies actually got out is kind of astonishing. But ultimately, it is up to the publisher to do what they can. But how much can they really do in this weird kind of black mirror ass environment That's <laughs> where true. everything's connected? Although, why are they publishing the game so early? I understand you have to publish the games somewhat early to get them ready, but it seemed like they published them really early. And they were smart enough. They must have instinctively knew something was going to happen because they removed shit from the game's disc that like were really spoilerish, apparently. So it's funny because I think some of this has to also do with the way we play games early now. And to give people a little bit of a glimpse, 
Back in the PS2 and PS3 and PSP eras, we used to get debug code, whether on disk or on UMD, you'd get these kits that looked identical in every respect to the other ones, to the real ones from Sony, and then you put games into them, USB packages and all this kind of stuff. And that's how you got games early. And then on PS4, they started just putting games much earlier on PSN so you can download them natively to a retail console and started sending you just printed versions of the game. And I think that had something to do with it too. I think there was just inherent security built into the way we were playing older games on console, but that's not the case anymore. And so I think that that kind of affects it too. You know, like when we get an early game today, we get it on a retail system, but that was not the case 10 years ago. We would get, you know, Resident Evil 2 on a fucking burned Blu-ray that would only play in a debug PS3 and no one has them. So yeah. even if that disc was on the fucking subway, no one would be able to do anything with it. So I think that has something to do with it, too. I think that the manufacturers might have gotten a little lax. It's a different time. Number seven, speaking of Kingdom Hearts 3, it appears retailer GameStop shit the bed when it comes to the coveted limited edition Kingdom Hearts 3 PS4 Pro. That's right. After an outcry online seemed to indicate that people were getting their pre-orders for the console and game combo canceled en masse, GameStop confirmed as much in a statement to Kotaku, quote, Unfortunately, we did have to cancel a few customer pre-orders of the limited Kingdom Hearts 3 PlayStation 4 Pro console system due to overselling the number of units we had in our inventory. Earlier today, we notified those customers impacted, refunded them their money, and gave them a $25 GameStop credit for them to use online for their next purchase. Wow. That sucks, dude. $25? In-store credit? PS4 Pro is, first of all, hard to find, generally speaking. I don't know why they're under-manufacturing them, but this one's definitely not going to be anywhere to find. So if you were counting on getting this one... That's really messed up. How do you oversell? I don't understand that. It's like airlines doing that with fucking tickets for... Yeah. Wouldn't it be better to have like a few extras that are clearly going to sell? If they were like, we're getting an allotment, we think between seven and 10,000. So we'll sell 7,000 pre-orders and then the other 3,000 we'll just put up and they'll sell. It's like, to what end are you even overselling them, you know? It's insane. Instead, they were probably like, we're getting seven to 10,000. We're going to sell 12,000. Number eight, every year GDC, the Game Developers Conference, releases results of its expansive polling of games industry professionals, particularly developers, and what it calls the state of the industry. Website Gamasutra relayed word of some interesting findings this year, perhaps paramount among them, that only a small fraction of devs polled, fewer than one in five, are working on next-gen games. 2% of devs polled said they're working exclusively on a next-gen game, while another 16% said they're working on both this and next generation for a cumulative 18%. Nearly half of those polled, 46%, said their current project is on this generation of hardware, and 37%, so about a third, declined to answer. So you can maybe assume that they're working on it too. But this is interesting, Chris. 2% of devs polled admitted they're working on next-gen stuff, but the 16% said they're working on both, which indicates that we're going to get a really rich, well, we've assumed, we're going to get a really rich crossover. Yeah, for sure. Just like we had in 2013, 2014 between the consoles. I want to know what that decline to comment is. Yeah, 37% decline to answer. The other interesting thing that people are pulling from this survey, I don't know if you saw, I want to do a video on it, so I'm not going to discuss it too closely here, is 47% of game devs want to unionize. But I'll do a video on that because I think that's a very complicated and interesting issue. Number nine, publisher Bandai Namco has an interesting series of new trademarks in the United States. These trademarks were dug up on Twitter and reported by Gamatsu and seem to point towards a video game called RAD. And that's RAD, R-A-D in all caps. Two of the three logo designs are in capitals. One is written as a proper noun, and all of them have imagery, like a radiation symbol and a mushroom cloud built into them. So it seems that rad likely points to nuclear radiation. All three trademarks point to a video game as the trademark vertical, so we may get an announcement from the publisher soon. So it looks like Bandai Namco is publishing what you might assume might be an open-world Fallout-like game. That's my assumption. Yeah, called I mean, rad. That's, that's interesting. Who develop, who's developing it? No one knows, but keep an eye out for that. Number 10. Image Inform Games, the Swedish team behind the various SteamWorld games like Dig, Heist, and Dig 2, has announced a new title in the franchise, SteamWorld Quest Hand of Gilgamech, which is an RPG meets card game that is coming first to Switch, according to the team, but which will come elsewhere, including to PlayStation 4 by year's end. I did beg them on Twitter for a Vita port, by the way. Got a lot of traction. (laughs) If you guys want to go thumb it up, let them see it. 
I doubt we're going to get it. Yeah. I'm looking. I think we got all three of the other games on Vita. But like with the whole cartridge thing. Yeah. Yeah, they won't be able to do that. Yeah, they're probably just going to be like, ah, that looks like a mess. And finally, a wrap up, Chris, number 11. The PlayStation blog reports that puzzle game Melbit's World comes to PS4 on February 5th. Extremely deep strategy game Stellaris, this is surprising, is coming to PlayStation 4 on February 26th. I have no idea how they're going to make that work on PS4. And arcade action shooter Earth Defense Force Iron Rain is PS4 bound on April 11th. Website Push Square reports that strategy game Wargroove is coming to PS4 very soon. Adventure game A Plague Tale Innocence comes to PS4 in May. And that Generation Zero, and I don't remember this, by the way. I looked at the trailer for this. The open world action shooter from Avalanche Studios is coming to PS4 in March. The latter game looks really cool. According to Push Square, it takes place in 1980 Sweden. Can be played alone or with friends. Won't cost $39.99 at launch. So there's that. It was announced at E3 last year, but I don't remember it. It looks kind of cool. So it looks like a budget or a more A style Avalanche game. So not just cause, maybe more like Mad Max. We'll see. Website Silicon Era reports that Image Epic, the Japanese team behind the Luminous Arc franchise, as well as the PSP series Fate Extra and the PS3 RPG Time and Eternity. You guys might remember Time and Eternity. It came out in 2012. It was a 3D RPG with 2D like character models. It looked fucking weird. You guys should look it up. It's planning a new game announcement in early February. And finally, Website Gamatsu reports that RPGs Evil Land 1 and 2 are PS4 bound in early February. And 2D side scroller, The King's Bird, comes to PS4 at some point in February. And that is what we have for news today. Would you look at that? Shall we read the new game releases? Yeah. Would you like to go first or would you like to go second? Uh, I'll go second. You're going to go second. Did you yeah, plan this out? out? No, I oh, just. Oh, okay. There is one excellent one on here. Is there? One excellent one. I don't know who's going to get it. Oh. oh, I think I'm going to get it. All right. Ape at Hordes comes to PS4. Ape at Hordes is a fast paced and colorful fantasy RTS game that is easy to understand for everyone. Collect resources, build up and defend your base, amass your army of Death Sworn. And by the way, that Death Sworn is intercapped. Or Lightbringers, and ultimately, crush your opponents. Ooh, crushing opponents. Look at that. Crushing B- attack. Bombfest comes to PS4. Bombfest is a physics-based party game for you and up to three friends. Unlock new levels, bombs, characters, and outfits as you blow up both enemy and friend alike. Blow the competition to bits and be the last toy standing. Here we go. You ready? Deadland VR comes to PSVR. You must defeat your fears for survival and salvation in this reign of zombies. <laughs> Walk through the road without being noticed by them and kill them with different weapons you can get by walking to bright lights on the road. Oh, <laughs> that that's somehow very descriptive and very vague at the same time. When I first read it, I was like, this really doesn't make any sense. But it actually does. You must defeat your fears for survival and salvation in this reign of zombies. That's a really cumbersome sentence that I guess technically makes sense. It's quite over encumbered. <laughs> Drowning. <laughs> Comes to PS4 and Vita. (laughs) Drowning is a short game about a boy who quickly discovers he has depression in his earlier years of high school. Walk through a variety of beautiful, low-poly environments as a story unfolds about how he learns to live with his inner demon. It's the story of Chris. Just one inner demon, also. Not inner demons. Yeah, just one. Just one. His name is Ralph. I was about to say that exact thing, for real. Really? Like, actually the same name. Wow. That's creepy. Great minds. I don't like that. Minds think alike. I'm not going to say great. (laughs) Minds think alike. (laughs) That's a great shirt. Genesis Alpha 1 comes to PS4. Genesis Alpha 1 mixes thrilling roguelike mechanics with a deep ship builder and fast first person action. Build and manage a space vessels, farm resources, deal with terrifying alien infestations, and much more as an interstellar pioneer. Sounds actually pretty interesting. Goodbye Deponia Mm. comes to PS4. More chaos, more destruction, more Rufus. The Organon plans to dis- the destruction of Deponia. The lovely goal has once again disappeared, and anti-hero Rufus just can't seem to stop getting in his own way. 
part three of the Deponia series. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, me neither. This next one has been recommended to me by multiple people. Really? Yeah. The Hong Kong Massacre comes to PS4. Inspired by classic action movies, The Hong Kong Massacre places you at the center of a hard-boiled revenge story filled with brutal cinematic shootouts and vivid underworld locations. Blast your way through the streets of Hong Kong in a fast-paced top-down shooter. It's been compared to me as somewhat of a housemark game and somewhat of a Hotline Miami type game. Oh, that's Supposed cool. To be pretty good. Yeah, that's a good pitch. Kingdom Hearts 3 comes to PS4. Set in a vast array of Disney and Pixar worlds, Kingdom Hearts follows the journey of Sora, a young boy and unknowing heir to a spectacular power. Sora, Donald, and Goofy unite with iconic Disney Pixar characters to persevere against the darkness. Nightcry comes to Vita. (laughs) Nightcry is the story of a relaxing cruise taking a sudden detour into absolute terror. Your surroundings are luxurious and the guests are friendly, but not everything is as it should be. As night falls and a cry echoes out through the ship, the true nightmare begins. Royal Assault comes to PS4. Royal Assault is a real-time tower defense game set in a medieval fantasy setting. Your people are under attack and you must fend off the invading armies by building towers. That's how I always try to fend off invading armies as well as by building towers. It works. This says Sony of Memories, but it should definitely be Song of Memories. A romantic <laughs> visual novel with a dark and sinister underbelly. Discover the thrills of finding your soulmate in Japan's iconic musical love story and fighting for your love in the most testing of times as an apocalyptic virus begins sweeping across the world. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good. Trainer VR comes to PSVR, of course. Trainer VR is a unique physics-based VR train construction game where you can create from simple tracks to an elaborate rail network. If you liked building with your own bare hands, you'll feel the same in our limitless VR world. So it's a, tra- it's a I didn't even read it. So train construction, they didn't do themselves any favors with that name, by the way. Everyone's going to look at that and be like, I don't know. It's train an exercise VR? game. Yeah, it is. It is. Very dumb name. Very dumb. Bad idea. We have nine questions from the audience to wrap things up with today, Chris, on episode 31 of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Alrighty. Remember, again, you can support us on Patreon if you want to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas like Richard Duffalo did. They said, hey, guys, do you have any info on the unnamed Sony studio? Quentin Cobb announced on Twitter this week that James Martin check would be back into the Sony fold working on an unannounced game with this unannounced studio. Cobb wouldn't go into any more details on the game or the studio. Martin check comes on as lead animator. He previously worked with Naughty Dog on The Last of Us and Rockstar on Red Dead 2. It's exciting to hear something new is coming that we don't know about. I'm sure it's a PS5 game, but what's even more intriguing was the job listing description. Quote, this high visibility project is being developed in collaboration with a major Sony development studio. End quote. Is there any light you can shed on this project? Thanks and keep up the fantastic work. So. I can shed a little bit of light on this, but I don't know if it's anything that you guys don't already know. I'm not really hearing much about this otherwise. Richard is referring to a studio that's being constructed or a team, I should say, being constructed, we think, in San Diego. and Or they are being constructed in San Diego. Now, Sony San Diego already exists. That's where MLB The Show comes from. And they made a bunch of games back in the day, and they most recently made, like, Kill Strain. They worked on uh, in a production role with, like, Drawn the Death and stuff like that. They laid a bunch of people off, so they have room there. And I've been to Sony San Diego many times. Lots of space. So enough space to house a new team. The rumor is, and again, this is a rumor, and I don't have any substantiation on this, is that they're working on an Uncharted game. And huh. it seems like they, you know, you say working with a, in collaboration with a major Sony development studio, it seems like that's probably Naughty Dog. It seems like this is going to be an Uncharted game for PS5. And that's what I've read and heard. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I think it's smart and fun that they're just not saying anything about what the team's working on or even yeah. acknowledging that the team exists. In a very similar fashion to the way Xbox is kind of formulating um, the initiative here in Santa Monica, which is their so-called quadruple-A studio, which a friend of mine actually just got hired at, and that they're kind of keeping the lid shut on that as well. So I think it's really exciting. But again, we don't know. We don't know for sure. Zachy wrote in to us, said, sup, CNC. 
This is more a question for Chris. I just realized that Anthem doesn't have a PvP mode. And you brought this up earlier. Yeah. Do you think in the current climate of Fortnite, etc., that I can hold a player base without it? Or will it go the way of games such as Evolve? I think it's a really bad idea to have a multiplayer game and have no option for PvP play because that's ultimately self-sustaining content. Like, you don't need to put out new missions or you don't need to build new crazy uh, set-piece moments for people to go through. You can just rely on players keeping each other company to fulfill that content turnout. That's what makes so many old-school multiplayer games still so replayable. So to just leave it out of a multiplayer game is it's shocking to me. But at the same time, it's not all that surprising considering Bioware, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really have experience with multiplayer games at all, at least from a PvP standpoint. Maybe they have a little bit, but I, I, I'm really shocked, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused about Bioware's structure in the sense that they had, you know, they did Massive, well, they did KOTOR and all that kind of stuff and Jade Empire. But they did have that one team that made the Star Wars MMO. yeah. But I don't think that they were in Edmonton. Edmonton is where, in Alberta, is where Bioware's main team is, I think. And then the guys yeah. in Montreal have another team, which I think is folded now. They're the ones that did Andromeda. Yeah, and and they had they have I like they have on. the multiplayer component to Mass Effect Three under their belt. Right, that's true. Too. But that's all that that makes it even more baffling. That's something that you have to assume they're going to add in later. I really am dubious of Anthem's ability to succeed with just this other competition. Destiny seems to have a bit of a resurgence going on right now with the kind of amicable split with Activision and Bungie. They're also the oldest, though. Right. Destiny's been around for a while. That's true. They have a lot of loyalty. That's true. And the division's coming out around the same time. Yeah. So a little bit later, but... I don't know. I hope it's good. I do, too. I, 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 don't, want love to, for it I don't want it to be bad. No, me neither. I, I would love to have a new, cool experience to have, but, like, man, I, I don't know. It's, it just seems like a really weird oversight to just not include PvP in a multiplayer game. I agree. You know, I don't know that I'm going to play it one way or the other, but... We'll see. Christian M. Turnbaugh wrote in and he had the audacity to give us his middle initial. <laughs> Greetings, silly Chris and Sly Colin. I don't like that. Sly. I don't like that. I feel that there is an opening for a modern shooter in today's market. What former series would you like to see brought back to fill that opening? I would really like to see Sony bring back the SOCOM series. Love the show and as always, keep on sacrificing. We will. Thank you, Christian M. Turnbaugh. <laughs> I'm down for a new SOCOM. That'd be awesome. I really do believe that SOCOM will live again. Well, they got done in by the whole shutdown, by the whole PSN shutdown. Like, that's, I'm convinced that's the whole reason that game got messed up. Yeah, so for people that don't know what Chris is referring to, SOCOM 4 came out right before the great PSN outage when PlayStation Network basically went down for six weeks. And since it's an online-only game, it basically got cannibalized by that. I think it literally happened the same week. Yeah. And so that was obviously made by a Washington-based studio called Zipper Interactive. And Zipper Interactive no longer exists anymore. They made a U Unit 13 was their last game, which was a Vita launch window game. And as far as I understand, the idea of SOCOM has never been fully dead. It's just that I don't know that they thought that there was much resonance to that franchise anymore. But I, to your point, I don't think that they can read the data accurately based on what happened to SOCOM 4 and the PSN outage. And in this market where these kinds of games like Anthem and Destiny, and everything, they, SOCOM's a game that can fill the space or compete on the space, not necessarily with Anthem, not necessarily with Destiny, but with games like Siege, where yeah. it's, you know, four players and you're playing against, you know, other teams or AI or whatever the case might be. I think, I really do think SOCOM's coming back and I think that it will come back to PS1. Oh, yeah, it's just a matter of like when, I think. You know, you asked, let me pick up my phone again because you did ask a specific, you put it in a specific way. Modern shooter, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if you would call this a modern shooter. It's really a futuristic shooter, but I think Killzone is probably going to come back too. And I yeah. would be interested to see where that fits in as well. And I feel like Killzone will be a nice PS5 launch game, personally. This is, this is a far cry, but I would love to see Time Splitters again. Well, Time Splitters, wasn't that purchased by THQ Nordic? There you go. Yep. Demetric Edwards wrote into us and said, Hello, gentlemen. 
Do you feel that there's something missing in Sony's portfolio of exclusives, or even perhaps that there's a surplus of a specific genre? Lastly, do you think the unnamed studio could shore up a niche that Sony may feel is lacking? Well, we oh, sure. talked we've about talked about this several times. Like, there's a, a distinct lack of multiplayer offering. Right. And, and I there's, think there's a distinct surplus of third-person action games. Right, exactly. And that was what I really wanted to... That's why I used Dimitri's question, because he was asking about a surplus. And we, we talk less about that than we talk about what's needed. Yeah. And yeah, third-person action is literally everything that's coming Yeah, out. actually, for real. With the exception of Detroit and Dreams, I mean... That's it. Those are the only ones that aren't. Yeah, those are the <laughs> only... For real. Yeah. And now I like third person action. I think it's a really natural way to play. Yeah. But there hasn't been like a, let me think here. I don't think there's been a first person Sony released game since Shadowfall. Since Shadowfall. So yeah, it's been six years, five and a half years. Yeah. No, I'm inclined to believe that you're probably right. There's a lot of stuff, but they've clearly found the formula that works for them. I actually think there's only a few perspectives or genres that really matter to the first party. Like people wanting a JRPG. I don't really know that that's going to matter, but you There's know, a bunch of those anyway. Exactly. And Sony gets most of them exclusively just by proxy, by being a Japanese company yeah. and, and, you know, all of that where that's a natural place for those games to land. So, yeah, nice question. And, yeah, we have talked about it from the other perspective, but the surplus of third-person games is certainly noticeable. Dan Flynn wrote into us and said, hey, guys, so I just recently finally finished Red Dead 2, and I was just amazed at the level of attention and attention to detail the open world had. Definitely the most immersive, I'm sorry, world I've lived in when it comes to open worlds. It just got me wondering what the future could hold. Colin and Chris, what do you guys think open world games will look like and be like next gen and onwards? For instance, what do you think the genre will look like in 10 years? Thanks for all the great content. What do you think, Chris? I don't think there's any way for us to possibly know. I feel like we would just look like idiots trying to predict. <laughs> but I think uh, Cyberpunk's probably our next big glimpse into what it could be. I would pay very close attention to that one if you're really curious about where that genre is going. Or not not even genre, but like, you know. That style. I guess it is open world's technically a genre, but well, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about with horror. Exactly. A type of game. Yeah, I don't know. Because again, there's open world adventure games and open world shooters and open world role playing games. So yeah, I, I point taken. I actually don't know what I want the open world to happen in open worlds because I feel like on one hand, open worlds are there's too many of them now, and a lot of them are checkbox games and they appeal to OCD players like me. And you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. The reason that I haven't played it really is because it sounds so daunting to play. Where people are talking about 80, 90, 120 hours. I'm like, what? Yeah. I don't want to spend 120 hours with anything. Literally <laughs> exactly. nothing that could be possibly released on a video game console do I want to spend 120 hours with. you got to be kidding me. This is why I'm excited about yeah. like Do- uh, Doom Eternal and Rage. They're just like stuff that I know that... Uh, Rage 2 I know is open world, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it's going to be daunting to me. It'll probably be like a Far Cry game. I assume 25 to 30 hours maybe. I mean, I don't know that I feel like sure. it's going to be straightforward, yeah. you know, and it's going to be something that I can pick up and play and like just breeze through and have a good time. Open but worlds, like, I don't know, Chris, I want them to become more immersive, though. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a great example because Red Dead Redemption 2 did it better than anyone I've ever seen it done with in terms of meaning, in terms of like there being intent behind everything that's there. Like it almost seemed like every blade of grass had an intention, like every yeah. vista was there and, and put so every person on the street was there to say something to you. That's the kind of shit I want to see. But I don't want it to be too much where like I don't want to be able to like walk into a town like St. Denis in Red Dead Redemption 2 and literally have a conversation with everybody because that's going to like appeal to me. In such a horrifying way. <laughs> it's going to grab you. That I'm, I'm not going to be able to play it. It's, gonna, it's exactly what happened to Witcher 3 in a different way where I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. It's driving me nuts. Like, I'm not even looking forward to this like a job. So I think you have to find that balance there. And I think that really clever studios like Rockstar figured out a new way to do an open world while I think a little more stagnant studios are giving us the same kinds of things over and over again. But you're right. We, we have no idea what they're going to look like. I mean, certainly 10 years ago, open world games didn't look the way they look now. In fact, they were really novel back in the day. And they're not novel at all anymore. So who knows? I think you got to be afraid of what you ask for with open worlds because we're just getting them like constantly now. They're not special anymore. Remember when Fallout 3 came out? 
yeah. 2008, how special that game was. I hated that game at first because I remember I was playing it and I, I walked into some, I think I walked into like the Washington Monument and I kept getting messed up and I kept getting respawned exactly where I would get messed up and I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm putting, I'm putting this down for like five years. Yeah, that sucks. I went back happens. to it eventually, but. It's just like, it's not as great of a game as I think people think it is anymore. No, but I think New time, Vegas it was is like, probably. It was mind bending to be able to play a game like that. Like, we just didn't get that on console, especially very much. We had Oblivion and a few others, but nothing. Now we get them like every two weeks. That game was striking to me just on the, on the soundtrack because I was a kid when that game came out. So I was like, what the hell is it? Ink spots? <laughs> it was neat. I like it. You know, it's funny, man. You know what I think about is like the missing link is Crisis. The original Crisis. You think so? I don't know if people out there have played Crisis. It well, that kind of became Far Cry. Yeah, no, it definitely did. The original Crisis, though, came to PS3 later. I platinumed it. Yeah. But it never came to PS4. But for people that don't know, Crisis was this like really mind-bending or supposed to be mind-bendingly beautiful. It's still really beautiful. PC game came out in 2007, mm-hmm. towards the end of 2007 on PC. And it's kind of the missing link of open world games where it's open world, but it's really not. Like if you play the game, it's like bringing you from point to point, but it's this big, open, expansive world. And that was what open worlds meant to us at the time. Like, wow, I can just go off the path and dick around here. And there's nothing really to do. And then we had like things added and and so on and so forth. And now I just feel like you got to show me. That's why Red Dead is so special. That was why it's my favorite game of 2018 is because it really turned it all on its head. It really is a special game. And it's special because of its open world. Austin Ashworth wrote into us. And said, hey, Colin and Chris, this week Nintendo announced that all work on Metroid Prime 4 was being scrapped and Retro Studios is taking over development. Texas's own Retro Studios. Interesting to note that this is the first concrete communication on the project since its announcement at E3 2017. In the PlayStation ecosystem, the obvious comparison is with The Last Guardian, which was clearly scrapped and restarted over the course of its decade-long incubation period. In contrast, we know that Sony Santa Monica pulled the plug on a major sci-fi project likely years into development for a completely new project last year's God of War. That did happen. How do developers publisher and publishers decide between restarting work on the same game as with Team Eco or moving on to something new as with Santa Monica? I'm sure a lot goes into these types of decisions. It's an interesting question, Austin. So what's fascinating to me about the canceled sci-fi game at Sony Santa Monica is they still refuse to talk about it. And it was something that was in development for a while. They spent a shit ton of money, tens of millions of dollars on it. And there were notable people working on it. And so I, I think games have to be so bad so, like well into development that they're like we literally can't possibly release this game you know like we yeah. can't even release it get six a six or a five and a half on metacritic and make some of our money back like this is so bad i think that teams very carefully make those decisions and then sometimes publishers come in later on and rescue games and there are a bunch of like vaporware right now that game wild for instance that was supposed to be a ps4 exclusive is nowhere to be found as an example but then there's an example of a game like remember me which was a PS3 game that was originally supposed to be a PS3 exclusive that Sony was publishing, that Sony let go, and then Capcom published it. <laughs> and that got on Xbox 360, and then that studio is now no, survived long enough to make uh, Life is Strange. So these things kind of happen in weird ways, but I think the decisions are on a case-by-case basis. There are definitely teams and definitely publishers that put shit out to make their money back to get them out. Yeah. They know their games are bad or mediocre and they get them out. But when a AAA first-party $50 million investment is then thrown away. You know it's serious. And I think maybe also, that's why they don't talk about it. Yeah, but I also think it's a lot of it comes down to like what the IP that you're working with is. You know, because Metroid hasn't had a significant release in a long time. So if they come back with something that's anything less than fantastic, you might as well just not put it out. I mean, Sony Santa Monica with, with uh, uh, God of War Ascension, that, that wasn't super well received either. No, it wasn't. So, and the reality is, is if they put out that sci-fi game, Sony Santa Monica probably wouldn't exist anymore. There's no shyness in shutting yeah. teams down. It happened with it also, by the way, like when they were working on Doom 4 and it just wasn't where it needed to be. And then they just, yeah, we'll do a reboot. 
Right. And it worked out. Great. And it worked out fantastically for them. You have to take into account when you make decisions like this, just the entire ecosystem and how it affects the trickle down of teams and studios. And and like I said, making games is really difficult. The, the audience of this show doesn't need to be told that making games is really hard. And the components come together and sometimes they just don't work. And games also drastically change. Yeah. I've seen games while in the development. I know someone that played The Last Guardian on PS3. I know someone that did. That game doesn't exist anymore. That's not the game you got. So, like, that's cool, you know, that, that those things happen. And, and, you know, maybe it didn't work out great for The Last Guardian. I would love to see how much money they lost on that game, personally. Yeah. But it is what it is. Zach O'Brien wrote into us and says, Hello, Colin and Chris. Do you guys think PS5 will be more expensive than the next Xbox? Obviously, coming out first and cheaper helped Sony a great deal last time. It also helped Microsoft by doing that with the 360 the generation before. Is it Microsoft's turn to come out first and at a better price? Thanks, guys. Keep on making my workdays a little less boring. Well, Zach, this is interesting that I will note that the difference in timing between PS4 and Xbox One is totally irrelevant. It was like a week. So it's not like a year, like with PS3 and 360. So I don't compare those two personally. I don't think... Now, this is my take, and I don't know much about tech. The PS4 cannot, or the PS5 rather, cannot cost more than $400. That is how much it's got to cost. If it's 500 bucks or $600 like the PS3 was, I, I think know. they could maybe get away with five, but they need to really sell it. Like they don't, they don't even really have to sell it much for 400, I think. I mean, 400 is perfect. That's technically cheaper with infl- inflation adjusted than PS4 was. How could anyone complain about that? And they were making a profit on that, by the way. So I think that's a great price point, $400 to aim for. No, for sure. You know, now he asks Chris about the next Xbox. I do think the Xbox will come out first. I think so, too. And I don't know when. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be this year. But I think it would be wise for Microsoft to get it out first. And I think that they might reach parity on the price point. Xbox One wouldn't have been $500 if they didn't include Connect. That was their major blunder. So I think that they could easily get a $400 Xbox One, two or whatever they're going to. I don't know what that is. Xbox, Xbox 12. I, what a, what yeah. a terrible Don Matrick idea to name that thing Xbox One to begin with. It, it bothered the hell out of me. Not as much as the Wii U did. Like the name Wii U, but yeah, Xbox One is a kind of frustrating. Even name. the notion behind it that it's like an all-in-one. It's the one thing you... I'm like, shut up. Just Like, this is confusing. <laughs> what do we, Now we have to call the Xbox One the original Xbox, the original OG the Xbox. The Xbox original, yeah. And now you have this whole naming confusion where Sony's just like... That was, as I've said in the past, the number four, she, I think it is in Japanese, is considered unlucky. And so I was like, there's no way they're naming this thing PS4. And... I was fucking dead wrong about that. Look, I mean, it makes the most sense. This next generation is going to be really interesting. I'm really excited for things to get things to start kicking up. Me too. Because I'm really, really curious because there's all these rumors about Microsoft putting out like a really cheap streaming version of a, of a console without a disk drive, which is probably going to be ridiculously cheap. And if they manage to do that, if they manage to put out like a new next gen system for like 200 bucks, that'd be insane. They're also talking, I think they've talked openly about it, but maybe not, Chris, about something else I think is interesting, which is like almost a 0% financing deal where you pay a price for like an Xbox Live Gold account, Game yeah. Pass, and the system. They send you the system, you pay like $39.99 a month or something like that. I think that's 0% financing. I don't know if they're going to make, they might make a little profit on that, I assume, but it's a way to kind of get the consoles out into the wild. In the United States, half of working Americans don't even have $400 in the bank. So something so like crazy. this, where they're living paycheck to paycheck, but they want to play games, something like that is an out-of-the-box financing deal that you wouldn't really think of to be like, this is another way. You don't have to go to, to the store and use your 19.9 APR, you know, percent APR credit card to get the console. <laughs> yeah. Just buy it from us and you can pay as you go. It's pretty smart. Like it's, that's a pretty smart thing. And yeah. Sony would be wise to look into that. And it would be even smarter if it was 0% APR. But you know what? Sony's not going to look into that because they don't need to. That's true. But they might for the next console. Maybe. And it's just, it's in my opinion, Chris, it's just good to give people options. Oh, like, for sure. Like if you knew, for instance, like, if the PS5 costs four hundred dollars, 
And they were like, listen, for a $500 investment paid over two years, we'll send you the console and we'll give you PS Plus, right? And you pay us 20, what, I don't know the math, but $25 a month. And we don't make any actual profit. It's kind of like cars after 9-11 or after the recession where you would get 0% APR and you paid <laughs> off over five years. Yeah. Same thing. Like, that's just a way to get shit into the wild. Then you make your money on software, you know? So like, you don't care about the console. You want people to buy 10 games. Then you make your money. So I think that it's outside of the box almost adult-like boring shit that might help sell these consoles as well. Maybe. Two more questions. Jeff Scott wrote in and said, Hello, Colin and Silly Chris. <sighs> On a previous episode, Colin expressed his displeasure of how Platinums have basically become less valuable due to the oversaturation of easy Platinums. I think the percent of players achieved per trophy helps with that, but to each their own. If you were given complete control of trophies, how would you fix the system or at least make it more competitive and fun? Wishing you both, but especially Chris, a great day from Tallahassee, Florida. <laughs> yeah, I very, get a great day and you it's don't. not very nice. That's hilarious. It's not very nice, Jeff. <laughs> As I've said in the past, I really think that they have to make this more of a currency. Now, it's too late to do anything about it now, but it's ironic to me that they didn't put trophies on PSP, which they were planning on doing, and they were openly planning on doing it, and they talked about it, because they were so afraid of the system getting hacked to such a degree that people would run up their trophies. That's something that mattered to them at some point. Right. Now, they release games where you can get a platinum trophy on Vita and then PS4, so two platinum trophies, in 30 minutes. So now they clearly don't care anymore. So for me, I would say, I would simply say it does matter. The trophy percentages are interesting, but if you're taking a look at someone at a glance and they have a hundred platinums, but 70 of them are from Vita games that you can get in 10 minutes, that's not really that interesting. And so I think my idea behind this is to try to keep the stratification of trophies as it is now, try to have some people on board to say like, listen, you got to make your trophy list a little more hard. Like you, you don't have to beat the game five times or anything like that, but at least beat the game, find the collectibles, whatever the case might be. But also have a fluctuating level system like they do now on Sony, where based on what he was saying, the who is this who, who submitted this? Jeff. What Jeff was saying was the percentages of rarity matter. So factor the rarity numbers into the level, into the experience points you get. So if you get an easy bronze, you just don't get any experience points for it. If you get a platinum that 50% of people have, you don't really get much for it. But if you get a platinum trophy that, you know, like Metro 2033, only one in 50 people that played the game have the platinum, right? I so, have it's like, so it's like an RPG with like, uh, this is a platinum item with stats. Like scaling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that would be more interesting because then at least you have like some sort of notification, which would be the level, like your level, whatever, with this much experience. At least that indicates how much of an effort you put in it. And I like the fact that it could slide and even go down as more people <laughs> get trophies. So yeah. like if you get a platinum early or if a game goes free on PS Plus, so 10 million people are playing it, then the trophy scarcity goes way up. And then your level goes up a little bit. So I like shit like that. I think you have to be clever with it. Make it matter. If PlayStation is going to be an ecosystem that exists for decades more to come, this has to count because these platinum trophies will count in 10 <laughs> or 20 years. I think it matters. I can't argue with that. You're definitely really passionate about trophies. <sighs> Gotta be passionate about something. Sean Cochran wrote in. I'm sorry, Sean Corcoran. Said, hi, Colin and Chris. With the Anthem VIP demo being largely unplayable this weekend due to connectivity issues, bugs, etc., when will we see games just working as intended from the get-go? Surely in 2019, when a game, or in this case, demo launches and requires an online connection to play, the companies involved with the resources and experience just get these things to work. What do you think, Chris? I, I think we should be fair and note that when a game launches in a state that's very, very unfinished, we all know about it, specifically because it's so egregious. We think this problem is a, a little bit more 
prevalent than it actually is. Every single Destiny game that's released so far has launched without any problems whatsoever. Every Call of Duty so far. Wait, so um, Destiny in 2014, uh, Destiny 2014 didn't have connectivity no, issues? No, they, they didn't have, uh, even the original Destiny launched totally fine. I remember playing it and there were no launch issues at all. Destiny 2 was the same thing. This is an uh, Activision thing, seemingly, right? Because Call of Duty is similar, I think. Yeah, Call of Duty is similar. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the majority of games really do, at least from... I would say from 2015 onward, a majority of them have launched relatively without any of these like game breaking problems. It's really when something's just so egregious, like Fallout 76 or like uh, in this case, the demo. Let's be fair. It's a demo. A beta oh, so for they Anthem. are calling it a demo. It's a demo. OK, yeah. so, yeah, then it should work. It should work. They should <laughs> have called it a beta. What, what? Now, I understand that people are starting to get upset about demos being called betas like there's nothing you're gleaning out of this this close to launch that you're gonna be able to fix except for some base you know connectivity issues and you can server just call issues. it a server beta or right. something and that, that'd be fine that'd stress be honest. test yeah. stress test yeah. stress test is actually perfect yeah sure it does happen this happens a lot but i also think it's a slightly overblown battlefield runs fine as far as i'm aware the division as far as i was aware didn't really have that many connectivity issues at launch yeah there's gonna be like people have to understand and i think you guys inherently understand this that there's gonna be a crush of people day one on a beta or day one when a game comes out and there might be some connectivity issues, but I agree with you. I don't remember seeing many stories about this the way you used to see them five, seven, eight years ago when games came out and it was expected. Like, not to take a shot at Xbox One, but with Halo Master Chief Collection, that was the last time I remember. Actually, wait, I take that back. Drive Club was totally fucked up on PS4 and that's a multiplayer game. Yeah. Those are the last two examples of really AAA games that were absolutely horrible, like at launch, that I remember. Oh, I yeah. You know, I remember the Master Chief Collection very well. You know, Master Chief Collection, as far as I know, is still not fixed completely. As far as I understand, there's still things wrong with it. They're doing these weird like beta tests. They came out in fucking two. Didn't come out in like 2014. It's crazy. It's, cra- it, it's significantly beta better tests? now. It's significantly better now. Jeez. I will say, but I, like that's that's a game. That's a game with like five different engines running at this. I don't even understand how they even managed to put that in a disc. That's embarrassing, though. It is. Sony was so embarrassed by Drive Club that they shut the studio down. Yeah. You know. So yeah, they called it a demo. So I think you have to kind of re the whirlwind with that. But they are looking into how to make these things work. Now, when Anthem comes out, I think it comes out February 22nd, according mm-hmm. to my list here on my desk. When that comes out, if it's still like this, then you have every reason to be mad. It should be noted, this doesn't look nearly as broken as Fallout 76 looks. It's nowhere near. The most I've seen is like, the loading takes a long time, the connectivity issues are a problem, and it lags, probably as a result of the connectivity issues. If they can iron all that out in time, and I think they probably could, I don't think Bioware is going to put out something as phenomenally disappointing as Fallout 76. That's where you can play the demo and just know instantaneously, this is not ready. You know, so I think just maybe give it a minute. I would say wait until the game is out and hear what the general consensus is. Because that's the best route to go ahead. You don't need to rush to play Anthem. You don't need to rush no. to play anything, really. I know and you guys are excited out there, but I agree with Chris. I think Chris is 100% right. What's the rush? What's the rush? Yeah, let it's going to be there. Let other people beta test it for you. Let them take the day one patches and all that kind of stuff and, and sort it out. I know a lot of you guys want to be there day one. Your friends are excited to play it. You want to play that first weekend. You want to level up. But I'm definitely these things are going to exist for years. Like... I'll check it out and I'll let you. I'll let you guys know. Yeah, that, there, thank you. There you go. I yeah, appreciate that. I'm gonna reach out to them soon because I don't know when the codes are going out, but it's almost February, so I actually got to start keeping an eye out on this. You know, keeping an eye on this anthem, and I'm actually gonna be gone when it comes out. Oh, really? Yeah. So we're gonna have to. Where we'll, are you gonna? Where are you? I'm where, going to where, Philly where? to record Knockback with my brother. All right. So I, we have to talk about that, but we'll probably record two episodes. We'll probably do a sp- like a special one-off reader listener question episode whatever that sounds good so we'll we'll have lots to talk about with anthem obviously i'll I'll leave that to chris mostly i'll probably be a little busy with metro at that time i don't know if i'm gonna play it we'll see anyway thanks for the questions chris yeah that's all i have today 
It's, it's a, we, it was a good one. Thank you all out there for listening to Sacred Symbols. We appreciate you. Remember, support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand for early ad-free access, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, and all of those kind of shred, sp- uh, spread out, rather, to the other shows I do as well, including knockback, fireside chats, etc. Your support is essential. And by the way, we're going to start doing our Let's Plays. Maybe we'll record one next week when you come yeah. and start rolling those out soon. We are over the 5,000 patron mark, which means we'll continue to do Let's Plays as long as we stay there. If we reach the 5,500 mark, we're filming this son of a bitch. Oh, and boy. So... That's up to you guys whether you want that to happen or not. Appreciate you. Remember, you can support us at any level to make that happen, by the way. Chris, we'll see you next week. Of course. We'll see all you next week. Thank you so much for your love, kindness, and support. Bye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fodios Frank. Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julips, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mann, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schu- Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio. Do you approve of the clown? Of what? Of the clown, that mascot they got. Ronald, Ronald McDonald? Ronaldo, Ronaldo Did you McDonald. just call him that clown? The clown. No, we've talked about Ronald McDonald in the past, and I find him horrifying. I just had a morbid thought of like mm. a clown sitting outside of a McDonald's and just dying on a bench, and just nobody noticing that it's an And kids are clown. taking pictures with him? Yeah, it's, it's like a dead clown. <laughs> it's so messed up. <laughs> These are the things that claw their way into my I just like the brain. idea, the clown has like a paper bag filled with like a 40 in it. He's laid back. <laughs> yeah. The kids are like sitting with him. Like he's just got his arm out like... Passed out and kids are like sitting with him taking pictures thinking he's Ronald McDonald. But the other funny thing would be a clown sitting with Ronald McDonald taking a picture with Ronald McDonald. Because do clowns respect Ronald McDonald or is he considered a clown? <laughs> do, do clowns respect Ronald McDonald? Is he like a That's pioneer? Such a fantastic question. I don't know the answer. Do that. clowns respect clowns in general? I don't know. Do clowns respect other clowns? Are they jealous of other clowns or are they like, do they think they're better? Is there a level of clownship? Clownery is a little, uh, a little mysterious to me, and just and incredibly fucking. Yeah, you know, they have their own colleges. Clown college. Yeah. Yeah.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 